Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. Um, I have an awesome guest today, but I'm going to do a little intro uh, solo before she gets here, just to like chat with you guys about some stuff. Um, I'm going through something right now. Uh, it's pretty serious. Uh, it's uh, it's about my hate for musicals, and for some reason, it's just really got under my skin lately. Maybe it was after I saw this carpool karaoke video of Ariana Grande and Seth MacFarlane, both very talented. I hope to work for Seth one day. They were great in the in the song, but it 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 ruined my morning. I just you know I saw someone tweet it and I was like, all right, well I'll watch that, and um. And I was pissed for the rest of the day. I just, I couldn't get over it. It was, it just, it ruined my day. Because I don't understand, like, I don't understand in, well, they were singing like show tunes. That was like something Seymour. I don't know. I, I'm sure it's a famous song, but I don't listen to musicals or show tunes or whatever. And so for me, I was like, oh, what is this piece of garbage? Um, but uh, also Hamilton's coming into town and everyone's talking about it and buying tickets. And I'm pretty proud of myself I actually consider it one of my greatest accomplishments that I'm gonna go my whole life and never see Hamilton and I'm proud of that I think it means I'm going places it's you know and it's not about the content of Hamilton don't freak out it's just because I can't fucking stand musicals like I don't understand why you have to break into song why can't you just tell me how you're feeling why do you have to all of a sudden break into song and dance when you're happy or sad when you're overcome with emotion just you look like a pussy you know, it's horrible. It's like, just like, don't sing about being poor on the streets. I think it's like, is that lame is? Like, go, f- don't go forage for food. Don't just sit there singing. It just, nothing is going to get accomplished by that. Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. And then I just started posting videos on Instagram with like, uh, uh, the, the, the worst musical performances of all time, uh, by famous actors. I'm going to go with actually, I was going to say Russell Crowe and Les Mis, but someone just messaged me, Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia, and I totally forgot about that. It's the most painful thing I've ever seen. And they zoom in on his face when he's singing as if it's like, as if it's like an angelic sound coming out of his mouth. I mean, it's sad. And great actor, handsome man, can't sing. Don't know why he tried. I know I can't sing. That's why I don't attempt to. Just stay in your lane, Pierce. You're a good dude. You made a great bond. Was he bond? I don't know. Sorry. It's, it got, I got a little intense. I understand that. It's. I just can't. I hate musicals as much as I hate Beyonce. And that's a lot. That's. I might hate musicals as much as I hate Taylor Swift. I mean, that's it's all up there. How annoying is Taylor Swift deleting every single thing on her Instagram? She has like 103 million followers, deletes everything and just releases a photo of a snake or like a snake's tail. Like, who do you think you are? You think all, all those millions of people are going to still keep following you? Yeah, they probably will because they're morons. But, wh- like, how arrogant do you have to be to just be like, hmm, I'm going to still have an interesting Instagram by deleting everything and just putting a snake's tail. It's probably to promote our album. Who cares? I just, I'm, I'm on one today. I'm sorry. I'm on one. I just, I can't stand these things. Beyonce's pregnancy photos are the worst thing I ever saw. My mom um, shares a hate for Beyonce, too. And she would send me, like, daily updates. Like, photos of Beyonce. These stupid photos of, like, her, like, with the flowers and the unmatching lingerie. (laughs) My mom would just send them to me and be like, stab me now. I couldn't agree more. 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They're just, I just don't like people that, I don't know. They get to, they think that like they become, they have like a God complex after a while. Do you remember, I think it was Beyonce's performance at the Grammys last year where she actually was like dressed like Jesus and acting like him. Like that's insane. Why don't you go home and take a nap, Beyonce? I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself. Maybe you just need a nap. I don't know. Anyways, um, I'll get off my rant. Um, I recap Mexico last week uh, while we were in Mexico. It, it was a really fun trip. It's, you know, very sad at times for Stasi, but we had a great time. We had a great time making uh, Instagram videos. I'm sorry if we annoyed you all. I mean, we, they, we when we get together, we think we're like Steven Spielberg or something. We can't stop making videos. Um, but it provides us with entertainment, and it was a good distraction for her because it helps her to like at least laugh a little bit. Um, if you didn't listen to my podcast last week, I went and I went to Mexico in place of Stassi's boyfriend because uh, they did they uh, I don't know if they're still broken up. I think they probably are. Yeah, they broke up right before the trip. Well, he broke up with her. So yeah, so I went to Mexico. I had twelve hours notice um, before going to Mexico. But it was fun. We were at the most romantic resort in the world. Uh, we looked like lesbians, but that's fine. That's fine. Um, so that was fun. Uh, yesterday, I um, so my my podcast company Wondery uh, asked me to present uh, at the podcast awards in Anaheim. It was this big convention, and I don't know. I just assumed it was something like really low key. I wasn't assuming it was the Academy of Podcast Awards. That was what it's called, and so. I had to go to an audition before that was really casual. So I was wearing like, I was wearing mom jeans, which was the wrong choice, but I can own that. That's, that's my fault. So I was wearing like mom jeans and like a white tank top that was like slightly too inappropriate to be walking around a convention in. Uh, so that I put a cargo jacket, like a green safari cargo jacket over it and then kept it zipped up. And I walked, well, I had to go to this like mixer thing before this meet and greet and everyone was dressed up there and I was like, Oh, this was the wrong choice, Rach. And um, then I walked into um, the theater where the awards were, and it was a real deal awards thing, like big deal, big stage, people giving speeches, people wearing cocktail dresses. And I started to panic a little bit, A, because of that, uh, that I was dressed um, like um, like uh, the, uh, the safari tour guide at the Jurassic Park uh, ride at Disneyland. It's basically exactly what I was dressed as. So I was panicking about that. And then also because I didn't really, I just thought it was a big deal. So I never really bothered to read the email that said what I was supposed to be presenting and what I was supposed to say. And then once I realized it was a big deal, I was like, oh shit. And so then I read the email and tried to memorize what I was supposed to say. Um, I presented the comedy awards. It's weird that I wasn't nominated. Uh, <laughs> I think that's mean. Um, I'm joking. It was like Joe Rogan and, and Mark Maron and Anna Ferris. I mean, people that really deserve it. Um, but yeah, I, I got through it though. I kind of, I made the, I made the copy my own. I told a joke and then I, uh, listed off the nominees and then I read who won, which was comedy bang bang. And, uh, and then I went on my merry way and then I left immediately after that, but it was fun. It was fun. Um, I mean, I'll go anywhere for an open bar and a tray past appetizer. So, so that was a win. Uh, anything else I want to chat about? Um, what else is going on? Uh, ten, well, I actually think I am going to release this today. Uh, tonight I will be at the Hollywood Improv at 10 p.m. Uh, on the Comedians You Should Know show. Uh, Saturday I'll be at uh, Mountain Lakes Resort. It's like an outdoor campground cabin thing. I've performed there before. It's kind of cool. 
so that's where I'll be performing Mount Lakes Resort. I don't know what town it's in. It's like an hour and a half outside of LA. And then Sunday I'm at improv Monday. I'm at Molly Malone's, uh, like 7 PM and Tuesday I'm back at the improv at 8 PM for the story worthy show. And, uh, that's a good lead in for my guest this week. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you to get tickets to the Watch What Crappens live podcast on September 2nd at the Telegram Theater in downtown Los Angeles. You can get the tickets at Ticketmaster.com. I will 100% be there. I already bought my ticket. You guys should go too. It's going to be awesome. They're hilarious. I have a special guest today. Um, I've done her podcast before. It's an awesome, awesome podcast. You have to check it out. Um, She's a producer, writer, and skilled interviewer. Uh, Her production company, Storyworthy, has produced over 450 episodes of her weekly show, Storyworthy, and dozens of live performances of her game show, Shotgun Storyworthy, which I am also going to do on Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday, August 29th. Tuesday, August 29th at the Hollywood Improv in the lab. Super excited about it. Um, She's also the author of the book, Pit to LAX, My Storyworthy Life. And uh, she hosted the Ready for Weekend movies on the USA Network. I didn't know that. (laughs) I did. I'm just reading her bio out loud right now. I probably should have read it before. (laughs) She's a regular contributor to Huffington Post and is a three-time Moth Story Slam winner. She performs storytelling all over Los Angeles and has appeared in over 100 commercials. I know, I've never booked one. (laughs) Jesus. It's a bit of a miracle even (laughs) to book one. I will say that. Um, This is the very funny and very lovely Christine Blackburn. Thanks for doing this. Yes, Rachel. Thanks for being here. Thank you for doing Story Room. So explain what your podcast is about. Okay, so every week um, we bring a a new episode, and it's usually a comedian, but often writers as well, uh, and they bring their best true story. So it could be anything. Like when you came on the show, you talked about um, your father's illness. Yeah. What did we call that? Misdiagnosed. Yeah, Yeah, misdiagnosed. And so it could. When you ask somebody to bring their best true story, they often bring. A really good story. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. when you narrow it down, there's only certain stories that you know will pretty much hit it out of the ballpark. So that's what I ask people to bring. I listen to a bunch of your episodes and they're they're all pretty crazy, really interesting stories. Really good, right? Well, some are small stories too. They don't have to be huge uh, to make an impact. And but like, they're interesting. But they're interesting, yeah. exactly. And if you and if somebody wants to talk about that, then I think right off the bat you've got a guest who's more you know, who's more intrigued because mm-hmm. you're narrowing the field. When it's just wide open, long form interview, it can be tough because yeah. it's just too vast. Yeah, exactly. So I try to point them in a direction. What made you want to specifically start a story based podcast? Well, actually, I wanted to be an actress. Like my whole life, I've wanted mm-hmm. to be an actress. And it turns out a lot of people want to do that. Have yeah, you heard it's, that? Yeah, it's, it's pretty popular. Yeah. <laughs> like thousands of people come in a day to do that. And not just thousands of people, but the most beautiful people in the world come here. Mm -hmm. So we're not just like, you know, the most popular girl in your high school or, Mm -hmm. oh, you were the most popular girl in college or of your town. Yeah. No, this is like in the world. Yeah. All those people come here and it turns out a lot of them are very talented Mm -hmm. and I couldn't compete with that. You booked a hundred commercials. Clearly you could a little bit. I mean, I love, I love to act and I, but, but here's what my point is, is that, Rather than compete in that field where it is so uh, so challenging and so competitive, I decided to try to um, compete in what I do well, which is storytelling. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I can I feel like I do it pretty well is because I've sort of led a, a pretty rich life mm-hmm. 
in that I didn't even get to Los Angeles till I was 31. Oh, really? So, right. So when I had already been a flight attendant and I had been in the Peace Corps and I had survived cancer all before I got to Los Angeles. So I kind of came out here with a different perspective and with a rich history of some damn good stories. Can you tell the story of the Peace Corps and your and the diagnosis you got there? It is it is a fascinating. story. I know it's unbelievable, right? Will you tell it? Well, I, I can. I'll try. You know, it's a long story, but I will just say that you know I had been a flight attendant for seven years mm-hmm. in my twenties, and I had been a lot of places in the world, but the job itself got really repetitive because the first day on the job you say Coke or Sprite, Coke or Sprite, and then on the hundredth job. The hundredth day of the job, you say Coke or Sprite, Coke or Sprite, mm-hmm. and then on the in the seventh year of the job, after you've been on seven seven eight thousand airplanes, yeah, you still just say Coke or Sprite, Coke or Sprite. That's or, all. That's all they offered. That's all. It, pretty much. And then what was it? Trash, trash, <laughs> trash, trash. You know. And oh then, my god, that take, does sound repetitive. Take dirty diapers, and you know, bye bye, bye bye. Anyway, the point is, is being a flight attendant, it's not very challenging and it's not, for me, it wasn't very rewarding. Mm -hmm. It was for the seven years I did it, but then I just wanted more out of life Mm -hmm. and I wanted to try to give back. And, and, you know, fair enough. I took it, you know, kind of to an extreme in that I decided to join the the Peace Corps. It's a little extreme. (laughs) But I wanted to do something really different and I wanted to go out of the country and I just, you know, I had been through a divorce and I just, I knew it was a good time to split. You know, because there were no kids or anything like that. So anyway, um, I got selected to go to the Peace Corps and it took like a year of, of, I was going to say auditioning. That would be more interviewing Mm -hmm. back then. Um, So it's it's hard to get into the Peace Corps. It's very hard, actually. What's the criteria? Well, they say about 20,000 people apply a year and they take about 7,000 a year. Oh. You have to have a college degree right off the bat. And then there's about 60 different career paths you could take, Mm -hmm. of which I I didn't really fit any of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know about... Is it like a medic? You could be in a medical field or a small business field or animal husbandry Mm -hmm. or... um, accounting, managing things. I really didn't have any of the skills on the mm-hmm. list except that I spoke English. <laughs> and and you even, can say Coke or Sprite. And not even that well. well. Exactly. And so um, the girl, the Peace Corps recruiter I met with suggested I teach English as a second language. So I went and got certified and did some volunteer work. And anyway, I finally got selected. And then I went to the Peace Corps. Uh, I was sent to the Kingdom of Tonga in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. And I was only there for nine weeks. And I got very, very sick, and uh, nobody knew what was wrong with me. What were the symptoms? I had a backache, a terrible, terrible backache, Mm -hmm. and um, I was incredibly uh, uh, delusional. I was feverish, and just, you know, something was so clearly wrong with me. And it's scary. It was scary. To not be home when that happened, too. Oh, my gosh. Well, the lady who was with me at the time, because I was staying with this homestay family, she was chanting over me, De Vului Ulu, De Vului Ulu, which means the devil's in your stomach, the devil's in your stomach. Oh, Jesus. That's a little heavy. It was really heavy. Did she think you were like, that you needed to be like, have an exorcism? Or was I don't know, man. And then (laughs) they sent me to the hospital there, and there's no electricity in the hospital. The doctor who examined me wanted to take my appendix out my appendix out mm-hmm. there's no water in the hospital you know just so extreme Very did he even extreme. test for appendicitis or no, was he, he just taking a guess on my stomach and he said i take out your appendix tomorrow oh my god i said i'm sorry sir you, you don't have water here so that's not going to happen oh my god 
Yeah. What did really the hospital extreme. look like? It looked like a like a motel. Um, it looked like a motel, like a, just a one story building with like a breezeway down the middle and little rooms off of it. And they didn't they didn't have fresh water. So you're saying. no, they had a latrine, you know, and and the girl handed That's me terrifying. She handed me like a dirty coffee cup for a urine sample. What if you did have appendicitis and it burst, though? You then didn't you die. Notice. Well, then yeah. you would die. Yeah. And, and the average age, they live to about 52 down there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's the, that's, you know, it's remote. It's it's very far away. And uh, So what, okay, so you just anyway, were like, so no, I you're not taking I, out my appendix. No, right. And then the, and then I, uh, they gave me Motrin and stuff like that to take the fever down. Mm-hmm. And then I was still sick and they couldn't figure it out. Obviously. And so the Peace Corps medevaced me mm-hmm. to Hawaii, which is the closest state. And then there, very quickly, they did a CAT scan and they did blood tests. And it turned out I had a, um, a, a large mass tumor in my kidney. Oh, my gosh. Which, you know, your kidneys are close to your back. And I think that's why. Your back. Your lower back. back uh-huh. pro- right. And uh, so, yeah, it was extremely serious. And they wanted to do surgery there in Hawaii. But I was able to get them to fly me to Washington, D.C., where, you know, at least... Is that where you're from? No, I'm from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but but uh, I didn't have that choice. Why didn't you want to get it in Hawaii? Well, because I was there by myself. Yeah, that's just scary. <laughs> yeah, man. I yeah. Mean, there was actually a Peace Corps nurse with me. They flew a nurse from Tonga to, you know, with mm-hmm. me. And uh, so she was there, but... I, I didn't want to be in this hospital, you know, yeah. alone. And anyway, so they flew me to D.C. and then I had the surgery there. They took out my kidney. And how kidney. old were you at this time? I was 31. And they this took out scary. my kidney, right. And then um, I had to go through chemotherapy, and that I, which I didn't expect. I, mm-hmm. thought, I thought I was going to get well. I thought I'd be going back to the Peace Corps. It just never occurred to me that this was going to be the end of my Peace Corps experience. Yeah. Because it took me so long to get in. Uh-huh. So it was really, really sad because after I healed, you know, from the surgery and I was in DC like a month, I was in the hospital just over a week. And after I healed, I thought, okay, you know, let's, let's go. Yeah. And they're like, you need to go see this oncologist and finish and, you know, and figure out what your next steps are. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what an oncologist is. Like Mm -hmm. I've never, and again, I went to that appointment by myself. And he's like, okay, we're going to start chemotherapy. Because you were really young, next too, for week. all this to Right. And, and I was like, what? Anyway, that it was another bad day. It was a bad couple of months. Yeah, I would say so. so. <laughs> anyway, then, then, then I, uh, the Peace Corps wouldn't have me back. They won't uh-huh. have you unless you're five years cancer-free. Oh, okay. Which, of course, makes sense because I had to get yeah. follow-up. And, you, and you're going stuff. to, like, remote places where, you Yeah, know. but I just didn't, I hadn't put all that together you know, they, they kind of just give you this bad news a little at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, I actually considered going back to my other job as a flight attendant. I thought I could go back, but they wouldn't take me back. Really? No. You're they said, me. if you want to start at the bottom of the seniority list again, which is absurd because, you know, it's all, the whole airline industry is based uh-huh. on seniority. So if you had seven year seniority and then you have no seniority, yeah. it just wouldn't be, it's not feasible. It's yeah. just insane. So then you thought you'd do something really easy and move to L.A. to be an actor? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's when I discovered that a lot of other people want to be actors. <laughs> but not with as great a stories as you. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, I do love, I still love acting class. I love scene study. I love improv, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I really do. But uh, in order to make a dollar to feed my child, yeah. I have, you know, I've gone 
toward what I do best, which is I'm, I'm good at storytelling, but I'm also very interested in what other people have to say. I'm, I'm naturally curious. Mm-hmm. And I always had follow-up questions when I would see people tell stories like uh-huh. at the moth or at other storytelling events. I yeah. always wanted to, I'd like chase them down after the show, you know, Hey, let me just ask you one more thing. Yeah. You know, they, they ran, they were scared, which, you know, <laughs> which I get that. You're like, I was running at them. I will admit that. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. But, uh, so, so story worthy, you know, I, I, uh, so it was a combination of the moth and storytelling and then also Adam Carolla, you know, he had just left terrestrial radio mm-hmm. and went to his show in, in 2009. Mm-hmm. And he was a huge impetus for me because I, I still love him and yeah. I love his show. But just that he made it look like, oh, I see what he's doing. I get it. This whole podcasting thing. I get it. Uh-huh. So it was sort of a combination between him and the moth. So did you study storytelling or did you just realize like, I'm, I'm good at this? Because no, some, p- really. some people are terrible storytellers, yeah. to be perfectly honest. I know. And But I think that's just they don't know how to... Get to the point. Get to the point or, yeah, and tell a story properly. And so what? how do you think that you knew how to do that? That you weren't rambling and... I probably, obviously, I mean, I'm still learning or, for or sure. Or get the right details too. Yeah, I'm still learning for sure. But I think the main thing is, is when you tell a story... When you see the person you're talking to, when their eyes light up mm-hmm. or they lift their head up or you can you can tell they start listening, that's where you should have started your story. Right okay. there. Okay. That's a good so, tip. Yeah. So in other words, like and, and a friend of mine used to say to me, if you're reading a book and somebody's and then somebody says, How's the book? And you say, Oh, it's it's pretty good. It was a little slow at the at the start, but about page forty it really picked up. You know when they should have started that book? Page forty. Page forty. Really? Yeah, like jump right in. Mm-hmm. People will catch up. People yeah. You know, or think about when you go to see a feature film, you know, it's the first scene. It has gotta, to be good. Yeah. It's got to be, mm-hmm. it's got to be there or people aren't going to stay tuned. Yeah. So how would you recommend for people that, because I think most people think like, oh, my life is really boring. Like I probably don't have any cool stories to tell. And I think that could translate, you know, which is not true. Most people's lives are super interesting, but I feel like learning how to tell a story properly could be helpful for people just to meet people at parties yeah. or how to talk to someone when you're on a first date or something. How would you tell people that don't think that their lives are interesting or that they have good stories to Let's find hmm. to find ways to find an interesting story and how yeah. to tell one if they're like nervous about it? Yeah, well, try not to think linear. You don't always have to be linear. Like first this happened, then this, then this. Mm-hmm. It can be more of, um, you know, uh, jumping right into the middle of it. You know, you know, oh, that's what happened. Your mom will listen to my mom. My mom... And just start right at the, maybe at the crux of the moment. Mm-hmm. Try, just try not to do too much build up. Okay. Just, and it doesn't have to be a huge story. It doesn't have to be, I moved to the Peace Corps and got yeah. cancer. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. That's a yeah. crazy, but it doesn't have to be that broad. I mean, yeah. a good story can be just one tiny moment at Trader Joe's, or mm-hmm. it can be just something small that happened with your child or something you had for dinner. It doesn't have to be huge, but you have to be interested in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. To compel the other person to be interested. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you're asking for their time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, if you have, I have several elderly friends I play tennis with. I'm so used to their stories. And now it's like meditation to me because I've yeah. heard them so many times. But, you know, sometimes I hear them start telling a story. And I don't and they, mind. They repeat them so many times. I go times. to my happy place, right? And I just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, And I'm, you know, I just want to be on the tennis court. Yeah. But you can tell that they're not even into it themselves. They're yeah. just repeating what they, the same flipping story they've been telling forever. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> they probably just forget that they've told it a bunch of times. Or maybe. if people don't have a point to the story, it's yeah. so annoying. It's like, and then what have you, what are some of the most simple stories that people have told on your, on your podcast that, 
that are not like joining the Peace Corps and getting cancer, <laughs> but that are interesting, like something really. Well, Molly McAleer, she's a funny girl. Mm-hmm. She's a, a writer and a comedian. I think she's a comedian. I know she's a writer. She just talked about like a Tinder date and it was just one date, you mm-hmm. know, so it wasn't like a huge blowout thing. It was just one date. But, yeah. you know, she ended up having quite a few drinks and she was taking a lift that night. So she wasn't driving or anything. Yeah. And she ended up making out with a guy and that's not, you know, whatever. Yeah. Right. And then the next day he texts her, you know, and 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 then says, can I call you? And she, he calls her and he says, I just want to get the elephant out you know, the elephant in the room out of the way, I know you felt my bags. What? And she's like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, my colonoscopy bags. And she's like, I'm sorry, what? And he, he had like a, I don't think I'm saying it right, colonoscopy. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. No, colonoscopy. Not the test. Oh yeah, colonoscopy. Yeah, you're right. Okay. (laughs) I knew what you were talking about though. So yeah, well whatever. He has an issue with his large intestine. I know, it's sad, right? But that was, so that was like a small moment. I mean, it's just one day. Yeah, but it's a pretty major moment. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that's so that that's yeah, a yeah. funny story. I mean, it's, you know, it's it was a funny story. Yeah, it is just funny, and it's not huge. It's but not it's like yeah, it's not like thing. Darren Carter like meeting his dad for the first time when he's on stage doing stand up or seeing yeah, him for the first time. That yeah. was a huge story. Yeah, that was really cool. But again, when people ask for your best story, a lot of people do have at least one kind of a major thing. You know, maybe yeah. their parents split or they went through a tough relationship. Mm-hmm. Drug stories seem to be very popular because everybody yeah. seems to have... Well, especially amongst comedians probably yeah. in the entertainment industry people you People interview. always have, yeah. And, and inter- you know, you take drugs, something usually <laughs> noteworthy could happen. Yeah. You know, um, so it's great. I, I really am happy to see the uh, emerging storytelling scene mm-hmm. rather than comedy. You know, I did stand up comedy in the past as well. And it's just so much pressure. Really? And I almost think know, telling a story is more pressure. Well, one of the reasons why, like, I don't do stand up comedy so much anymore is I'm not funny. So <laughs> yes, you that. are. Yeah, but I don't I can't I can't be funny. Like, it, it's hard to land jokes, obviously. Mm-hmm. But again, storytelling, at least for me, it comes just more naturally. Yeah. And connecting with people and, and uh I feel like the fourth but wall. You could is honestly down. even write jokes about your crazy peace corps. Like, like yeah, that I have. Cause, you know, yeah, because yeah, the pain, like comedy comes out of pain usually. Yeah. You know, where I was in the kingdom of Tonga, there's only a hundred thousand people there. Mm-hmm. In the whole country. Wow. A hundred thousand people. You could fit the whole country in the Rose Bowl. Oh my God. And they would have good water. I remember there was a kid that I went to college with that played football that was from Tonga. They make big they make big kids. Make big people. Yeah. yeah. And I think t- a lot of them go, like go to play. Not the children sport. are regular size. The children are regular small size. But when but then they kids g- and they hit puberty yeah. and then they just change. When I went to Tonga in the mm-hmm. Peace Corps, I was thirty years old, which is pretty old for the Peace Corps. Oh, it most is? people that go to the Peace Corps, well, most people that go are right out of college. Mm-hmm. So 22, 23, 24, or at the other end of their life they're retired and they're like in their late sixties or seventies and that's what I was somebody else picturing that. Either 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 end. But most yeah. people in that are thirty have like lives and yeah. you know things going on Well already. I don't so. I didn't either. I didn't right. <laughs> I'm just I'm just sitting here. But in this Tonga, is my big activity for the day. They, they thought I was twelve. Really? They thought I was twelve. Why? Because you were just so little. Because I'm small to them. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like regular size. They're huge people. Yeah, they really are. I feel like like half of our not half, but like half of the offensive line uh, of our college football team was either Tongan or Hawaiian or Samoan. Samoan. Yeah, yeah, Polynesian. Yeah, Fijian. Big kids. Big people. Um. <laughs> so what? Okay. So. You moved to LA. You you are pursuing acting. 
Well, well going- taking, taking classes, you know, taking classes and I did a couple of films. I did, I think, three or even four films. Mm-hmm. And I had some pretty good roles. Yeah. Some major roles, actually. And, um... But I never got a theatrical agent. That's uh-huh. a big thing out here. You yeah. know, there's commercial agents are one thing, but theatrical is different. Well, how are you booking all of your stuff? Well, commercially, commercial agent. No, but the movies and stuff. And well, the like the TV would, show would, you hosted. Yeah. Well, those you just, I, the TV shows that I did go out for was just through my commercial agent. Mm-hmm. But like I would never have gone out for Will and Grace or yeah. like I would never get those auditions for Frasier or mm-hmm. those big shows that used to be on yeah. because I didn't have an agent. Mm-hmm. You know, and in Los Angeles, you, you have to, you know, when, when a show is casting, you probably know this, yeah. I don't know if your audience says, but when, it, when a major television show is casting, let's say it's the Goldbergs or Speechless or one of the big shows that's yeah. on now, they've got like their go-to 10 casting directors that they're going to call. Mm-hmm. And those casting, that they're going to call to cast it. Then those casting directors, or they each have maybe one casting director per mm-hmm. show, but the casting director has maybe the names of 10 agents that they like. Yep. And those agents maybe each have one or two people that they're going to suggest. Mm-hmm. So they're going to see about 25 people, but these people are well, so vetted. They're going to, they have to have a bigger casting call, but they don't necessarily... Because like, they'll have like, they'll bring like hundreds of people in sometimes. Well, commercially, for sure. But I'm talking about theatrically. Depends on how big the role is, because they still will see. I think they have to see a lot of people, but they already have it in their mind who they're probably casting. Yeah, they do. Maybe not hundreds, but, but you have to be with one of those agencies. Yeah. And in order to be with one of those agencies, you have to have either made the money before or you're making the money now. Yep. Because if you're an agent, you work only on commission. You mm-hmm. make what yeah, there's your no point. talent books. That's why they don't really develop people anymore. Why you kind of already have to come you? into right. it. What yeah. are you paying them? So yeah. it's like on one hand, they've got. They've got talent who is working right now. They got to manage those accounts and keep those people working. Mm-hmm. And then they got somebody who just lost their show, mm-hmm. who made them a lot of money over the last five or six or ten years. Yeah. And now they don't have a job anymore. They want a job. Yeah. And they've paid you so much. Yeah. They're gonna work for them. Yep. And then here you come along, and you are nothing. Mm-hmm. And you. So it, that's why they, they either say you start when you're like a kid, because they'll develop you when you're a kid. Yeah. But it's hard to move to LA to even be like 22. Really hard, yeah. It's really you know, hard. So, you, you know, you have to have something else, which is why I got into stand up comedy and writing. Right, exactly. <laughs> and also, just like living here, I think is a big part of living in Los Angeles or being in this community is understanding that, you know, it's an, it's an artistic environment and it's very liberal and you might not ever make that much money. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to be able to live without a lot. Or there's people that it's crazy where, like, you would never know them. They're not a household name, but they just book commercials or voiceovers or whatever. And they, they can be multi, multi-millionaires, but yeah. no one knows who they are. Yeah. You don't have to be famous, mm-hmm. as it were, to be successful out here, for totally. sure. Totally. Yeah. So, um, I wouldn't know because I'm neither, <laughs> but I'm yes, working on it. You, you are know? both. <laughs> you, I feel like, you know, as I get really down, obviously I get down some days and I want things to move quicker or I want, you know, I want a television show and I want things to happen. And then at the other the other side of things is like you have to balance out like I have accomplished things yeah. and I am proud of myself. And, and you have to and trust the process. Being here is mm-hmm. in the game. If yeah. you're living here and you're not in the and Peace And doing Corps, something every day to hopefully, you know, right. writing, doing a podcast, then the, the getting path, up on stage. You're on the path. Yeah, totally. So that's the good news. Would you ever want your daughter to be in the industry? If she wants to, but she 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 did. She She's did like one, 12? She's 10. 10. She did one commercial with me and I see her repeat 
like she'll watch TV and she'll see a commercial and she'll repeat it or whatever. And I can mm-hmm. tell she sort of wants to, but she sees the rejection, the rejection I go through. Oh, and, and she already time. realizes that she can't yeah. handle it. Yeah. And I'm sort of successful in that. I have two spots running right now on TV and That's we've so seen them both uh-huh. at the same time in one sitting. Oh, wow. And my daughter, she laughs. She goes, mama, look, you know, she laughs. But, but that's a really good time. I yeah. mean, that's not all the time. Yeah. But that's still really good. It is right now. I know. But then we all know that then I'll have none running. Yeah. Or, or, or nothing. And so then the rejection is, you know, I, I maybe book one in 25 I go out for, mm-hmm. which is amazing numbers, actually. Yeah, it's incredible. I know. But that's still put on full makeup, put on nice clothes, mm-hmm. take a shower, get your hair, you know, da 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 Go across town. So every go, audition is... Go to Santa Monica at 4 p.m. Oh, I had one the other day at 6.05. 6.05. Because all the Santa commercials Monica. are in Santa Monica it's or like, the what Valley. Are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Right. But, so it's, or Glendale. So every every commercial audition is two to three hours mm-hmm. of your time. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's it's a lot. And and money spent going there. Right, that course. you will never recoup most likely. <laughs> so you have to love the process. Yeah. You oh. have to love the process. So was it is it harder to have... Uh, I'm sure it is, but you can answer it for yourself. Uh, a kid and, and be doing this sort of like artistic lifestyle. Well, it's it definitely slowed up any stand up that I was doing in mm-hmm. terms of stand up comedy. That's really hard to be a mom, and yeah. I see some moms. It's hard out to even there. be in a relationship. Yeah, and but I comedy. see like like Kira Sultanovich, man. She mm-hmm. gets out there and she she just is an amazing she's performer. Awesome. Yeah. And she's got babies at home. She has a husband, though, right? Uh, she has a husband, yeah. Probably. Um, Lana Turner, she mm-hmm. does not have a husband, and she's out there killing it. She's got two kids at home. And so, so I... So what does she do? Just have a babysitter? I guess she has... I'm not sure her, yeah. her situation, but I mean... You know, when I ha- when I go out for a gig, I do it with my daughter all the time. I drop her off at her friends, and then I pick her up. Mm-hmm. Or I'm still good friends with her dad, so we work together a lot. But yeah. it's you know, yeah, it's a whole other layer of arranging things. Yeah, and for sure, and you I can't just up. do like like you know any night of the week. If someone's like, hey, I got an open spot, I can just pick up and go. No, 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 no. yeah, and I have and to you have to be doing that seven a.m. to become a. To, you yeah. have to be getting up on stage a lot to be getting yeah. better as a stand-up. Yeah, you have to be on stage at least six nights a week. Yeah. I mean, all the time. Five, yeah. six nights a week, for sure. So, yeah, that, it's really hard to do that now. I would like to more, though. Mm-hmm. I would, And I'm, I'm actually considering and thinking and writing some more material now because mm-hmm. I do realize that comedy... It, you know, you could do it at any age because it's just totally coming that's from my, inside of that's you. That's my favorite thing about stand-up is that yeah. there's no, you don't have to be attractive. Frankly, it helps if you're not. Yeah, you, yeah, <laughs> you, you can't there's take no age. away from you. Like, yeah, there's nothing. It's it's the greatest thing. I mean, at least for me, it's the greatest thing I ever did to at yeah. least feel more empowered in the entertainment industry and right. not just you being like... Nobody can take not, it away yeah. from you. Exactly. Not just being like, I'm an actor, hire me. <laughs> and that's what storytelling is as well. Nobody mm-hmm. can take away what you've been through and your experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I do, I go out and I see a lot of storytelling and uh, a lot of it isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And I think people have to, one thing that might might help people who are starting off, you know, storytelling or, or just one tip in general is to... Um, you know, the stories about like lo- losing a loved one or ha- giving birth. It seems like the death and the birth stories can mm-hmm. get, they're so personal and they're so intense for that person, but it's really hard for an audience to care. Not, they care, I mean, they but care, it's too intense but maybe. It, can, it just can get too dramatic. Yeah. Like, 
you know, like I know that must have been really hard, but sometimes it can just be. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying, you, and it's just it's too personal. It's almost too personal. Yeah, and how unless I, you let the other person in, like tell me about what would happen to your dad, yeah. you know, or like go back and forth like yeah, that. Yeah. Like instead of just going down your rabbit hole, yeah, <laughs> of despair, it kind of has to be lifted a little. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty specifically for like live shows. I feel like on your podcast though, people can tell like slightly more intense stories. Yeah, yeah. But on a live show, it's like, eh, we came here to have kind of Yeah, to go, have you fun need tonight. a little going back, more going back and forth. Yeah. Well, and also like in the audience, they usually go to escape their own life and not have yeah. to hear really sad stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can tell like, you know, personal stories, but not, I see what you're saying. That's too much. It's a fine line. How, how long are those stories usually? At the moth, the stories are five minutes long. Okay. I think a seven-minute story is about right. Yeah. Seven, eight minutes doesn't. And, you know, I have this game show, Shotgun Storyworthy, mm-hmm. that you're going to be in. And, and there we do one and two-minute stories. Yeah. And you really can get a lot out in one minute. Yeah. <laughs> and you can get a whole lot out in two minutes. Yeah. And in, in I was just thinking, like, what's my story going to be? <laughs> in Shotgun Storyworthy, we have gone... But we spin something, right? Spin we, the we, wheel, I right. don't get to pre-plan what my story is. No, right? no, there's 12 topics that are always on the wheel, and mm-hmm. then four that the audience cho- chooses that night. Okay. So those four are impromptu, and we don't know what they're going to say. Yeah. The last live show we did, the the audience suggestions were doctor's appointments. Uh-huh. That was a good one. Yeah. Uh, drugs, easy. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, uh, car accidents. Okay. That was a good one. Oh, I have a good one for that. Yeah, right? <laughs> and so, and so, you know, that's the idea is that everybody has a story. So yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. So what, are the, the, what are the 12 ones that are always there? The 12 that are always there are school days, uh-huh. pets, virginity, um, uh, passport, uh-huh. d- uh, drunk tank, <laughs> mom, kids, uh, Vacation. Uh-huh. I, I don't know how many I just said. It's something like breaking up. Oh, break uh-huh. up. Hired. That's one. Hired. Because mm-hmm. everybody has a hired story. Yeah. So the idea is that it, it jogs something in your mind. It, like yeah. if you land it on it's kids. A, it's a good You don't exercise. have kids. I get yeah, that. I'm but like, you have a story about kids because you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, boom. Oh, because okay, so it could be either way. We're off and running. And then also people like sometimes they land on virginity. Like the last time we played and the winner was Jason Shapiro mm-hmm. his virginity story wasn't about his virginity it was about losing his drug virginity or his LSD virginity Ooh, and he won way the to night. spin it I like that way to spin it spin that wheel that's what I'm saying <laughs> it's, crazy. it's a really good concept it's like it's fun it's it's a it's a good exercise to get your brain to like it is it jogs your brain to tell stories and then I have a children's version as well and those are like you know school friends parents you think you should develop some sort of product where we're copywriting this. Yes. Where you you teach people how to tell stories. Like you have like you you maybe you develop some sort of like basically what your game is um on the show, yeah. but that's something that people can buy and like try to exercise their brain so they have cuz well, this is going to be definitely a game. A home there's a home version of Shotgun yeah. Storyworthy for sure. But you could do like a self-help thing with people. But here's the thing. I get that, ask, people ask that question a lot when I get emails from people about like, what do I talk about on first dates and stuff? It's like people don't know what to yeah. say. Yeah. I hear what parties. you're saying. And, and a lot of times I do think that I could impart wisdom, especially to the youth. Yeah. The youth of America. No. But recently I have met with, okay, you and um, 
and and Molly McAleer, who I mentioned, and another girl named Adrienne Earhart. And all of you guys are like in your early 30s. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like I have a connection with women, mm-hmm. like under 35. Yeah. Uh, because I'm older now. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of have some, you know, some life behind yeah. me and some suggestions I can offer and stuff like that. And I'm not opposed to doing you know, maybe some seminars or maybe some, but at at the end of the day, I really don't want to teach what I know. I would like to do what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And what I really like to do is I like to interview people. I'm curious about their lives and I like to pull information out of people. Yeah. That's what I like to do. So I don't, I know what you're saying, but like I was a good flight attendant too, but Uh I don't want to be a flight attendant. Yeah. 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 What's one of your secrets for pulling information out of people? That's a good (laughs) tactic too. repeat what they just said. Now, really? um, yeah, really. Or just listen. That's just helpful. Listen. Yeah, listen. And I try really hard to listen to the story, and then I take notes, of uh-huh. course, to jog my mind. But the idea is like when I would see a show at the uh, a storyteller at the Moth when they're done with the story, and then they would say, "Okay, that was Rachel O'Brien," and then then right, you're gone into the night, never mm-hmm. to be seen again. <laughs> and I would just be like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait." So it's I think it's but really it, only but there's fits. a special skill you must have that what makes you a good interviewer, like that makes people want to tell you things. Yeah, I think I connect with people and make them feel like I'm very down to earth and Mm -hmm. I can make people, I can talk to anybody, man. I can talk to anybody. And I've, I've traveled very well Mm -hmm. in the past in terms of, um, I've traveled in first class in Mm -hmm. ways. And then I've also been to the Peace Corps. So I've kind of seen a lot. Yeah. So you can connect with a lot of different types of people. people. Yeah. Yeah. We all put our pants on one leg at a time, Rachel. Yeah. As you know. I could see that. (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like I feel like I just want to tell you things. Tell me everything. <laughs> I, just, I should be a therapist. Maybe. No. Nope. You don't. You don't have what, whatever you just said. Yeah, that you want to do yeah, what you do. It's just not, I do want to do what I, I do. Yeah. You know. And you know who I really love is Larry King. Mm-hmm. Did I ever talk? To, we ever talk about this before? No. Do you My know love him? of Larry King. <laughs> no, but I want to know him really yeah. bad, and I tweet with him a lot. I mean, I tweet at him. I see him. There's two restaurants I always see him at. If you'd like to go stalk him, you do. Tom Dover in Beverly Hills. Craig's um, on Robertson okay. and Melrose ish, and then also the Palm in Beverly Hills. The Palm. Interesting. Yeah. Wait, what about Nate? I've, I've honestly. Uh, I don't. I've only been in Nate Nows like once, but I've seen Larry King at both of those restaurants at least half the times that I've gone there. He's okay. there a lot. Wow, that's so interesting. I'm gonna totally. I'm gonna just totally, go stalk him. I, I will, and I'm gonna take my little Zoom mic, and I'm <laughs> gonna go over there. I love Larry King so much, but what I really love about him is he he has a natural curiosity about people, mm-hmm. and he has a way of setting people at ease. And you can just tell everybody that sits down with him. Whatever you want to know, Larry, let's just go. Yeah. Like everybody, he's just so fucking cool, man. He really yeah. is. And I, I, I want to, interviewer. I want to have that. That's yeah. so, that's why I really want to emulate and not like, I mean, I think that Katie Couric is, is really good at what she does, but she's more of a journalist Yeah, and getting more or like Barbara Walters where they're a little aggressive with their questions right. and stuff. Yeah, it's no, not I just, have, they're not like letting yeah. people ease into it. I don't, I would never want to drill anybody. Yeah. I never want to put somebody in a position that they wouldn't not be happy with what they said. Yeah. And in fact, I have gone back through my episodes and taken out things that people have mm-hmm. asked me to take out. I've taken down, well, one show I had to take down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had to do that too. Yeah, so but you I, know. But I don't, I don't blame, I mean, like, if someone says something, because people can get wrapped up in the moment and then they say something that they like regret later and you don't realize how many people listen to podcasts. It's like, can ruin someone's. <laughs> Wait, I'm not laughing, but it, what, is it, did that happen? Is that what happened to, on one your of show? My fr- one of my friends, uh, yeah, her boyfriend broke up with her because of my podcast. Not, because, not the latest. No, no, no. Thing, no. Uh, one that she talked just a lot about like like crazy stuff she did in college and him and his mom were already really judgmental of her 
and uh, he, his mom was already kind of trying to get him to break up with her, and she found the podcast, made him listen to it, and he was like, yeah, I don't basically like who you are, and broke wow. up with her. Uh, but I tried to take it down before more people had heard it, but it, it, they'd already heard it. That's so awesome that you have guests that have moms that listen, that listen to podcasts. Well, I think she just Googled her name and was trying to find something. I know she's also probably 50. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it happens. I should let you get going, shouldn't I? Don't you have to? Don't you have yeah. to be out here? <laughs> I got to go pick up my daughter at school. This uh-huh. is the routine, <laughs> and a lot of parents uh, keep their kid in these after-school programs and stuff. But I have uh, tried very hard and have so far succeeded in being able to pick her up from school. Well, you also pulled her out of school to see the eclipse, which I think is awesome. I did. I took her out of school to see the eclipse because, because they weren't going to let they, them. They didn't let any of the children. They went by the rainy day schedule and they even used umbrellas to shield them on the way to the bathroom. Why didn't, why couldn't they just say, don't look up? Well, because okay. they, <laughs> that's a great question. It's so weird. They baby kids so much nowadays. I don't know. I think it's liability and stuff. And they said they couldn't, they couldn't um, be sure that the, no kid would like just stare at it like, you know, being transfixed. I don't know how, nobody could stare at it. I mean, if you look at no, it, it hurt for a second. Yeah. Eyes, you just look away. What, yeah. what child, what, who, what person would ever be you like. You can't even mm. physically do it. it <laughs> I know. I'd looked for like a, like a few seconds and I was like, I don't like the way that feels. And I'd look down again, look back. Like, exactly. Yeah. And of course I'll have sunspots for the next 20 years, but look, yeah. my kid got to see the eclipse and that's not going to happen anytime soon not, not again. In, yeah. Not in your or the, your kid's lifetime, no. another hundred years, right? That's it. Uh, well, thank you for doing this. Thank Tell them so where much. they can find you, where your podcast is, your social media, storyworthypodcast.com and the social media is at storyworthy so I keep it nice and simple and our show is Tuesday Hollywood Improv Lab at August 29th at 8 o'clock 8 o'clock guys buy tickets at thehollywoodimprov.com please alright thanks for doing this bye bye